0: My name is Emily Amos. I am the founder and CEO of Uplift Content. We write case studies, blog posts, and eBooks for B2B SaaS companies. So business-to-business, software-as-a-service companies, companies like ClickUp, WalkMe, Okta, uh, Calendly, uh, those sorts of
1: folks. So what I want to start out with with you mentioned it as far as uh, case studies, right? This, you do content in general, case studies specifically, and how, um, you know, sometimes it's a little hard to kind of narrow down that niche when it comes to your own and marketing, things like that. When you, when you think about uplift content, like how does that relate to how you've aligned this business with things that you feel to be your authentic talent's? uh, interest, strengths, purpose, like, you know, what is it about this type of work that really kind of drew you in?
0: So I was a freelance writer, um, since I've been a freelance writer since 20, uh, 2007. And at that time it was just me. I was writing web content for companies in my city and, um, it was, it was great. I, I did enjoy it. I had a very healthy business, But at around the 10-year mark, I got to a point where I thought, I just don't want to be in a position where I'm only earning money when my fingers are on the keyboard. Um, And so at that point, I started thinking about how I could shift my business model um, so that I had a bit of a team around me who could take on some of that writing so that I could do some other things. So the ironic part about this is that I don't actually love writing. (laughs) I know it's awkward, right? Um, I'm a writer, I don't love it. But what I do love is running a business. Um, So once I started having these thoughts and uh, realizing, okay, well, I can bring in some team members to take on some of the writing and then I can truly run my business with without just running it on the side, because when you're a freelance writer, you basically have to be as billable as possible. Um, So that leaves very little time to run the business. Um, So once I had a team, I was able to uh, uncover much more time to do some of the things that actually were keeping me interested and excited. And that was sales and marketing, some HR, uh, but mainly sales and marketing and, you know, figuring out systems to make the business work. That's what I really have enjoyed doing for the last five years.
1: That's, that's really interesting too, because I think that, um, First of all, I can relate to, ironically enough, the whole idea with writing and one's relationship to it, right? Like there's a there's a point where it depends on what you write to, right? So if you're if you're writing something that's really near and dear to you, maybe it's a different experience. But I think sometimes people get into freelance writing or any kind of freelance work because at some point they really liked it, right? And then you know maybe it's a little different doing it for clients, and and they discover that along the way, and then they discover they like other things like the business side. But it reminds me of. Um, I always do like, I generally do callbacks to books that I read. And sometimes it's like an old one, like E-Myth. I don't know if you ever read E-Myth, you know, Mm -hmm. by Michael Gabriel. This is like, you know, 25 years ago, maybe. And and it's the whole premise is that like, you know, uh, entrepreneurs are not necessarily like, you're a great, you're a great copywriter. So that means you're going to be able to build a great copywriting business, right? Because the business side of it, the business part is different than the writing part. There might be some overlap. but, like you said, even like h r stuff, sales and marketing, which, in my opinion, I think where a lot of people really struggle as freelancers or small agency owners, things like that, um when you discovered that, like you know, you're kind of plugging along doing freelance work and and you're kind of like, "Wow, I'd really rather work on the systems." like was that kind of something that happened? Pretty quickly, or was that a little, little bit over time where you finally got to a point where, you're like, okay, I just have to make a shift in this?
0: I think it honestly goes even further back when I first started when I left university. My first jobs were teaching English as a second language to international folks. Um, and that was fun. It was really fun. It took me around the world. I met lots of great people but at a certain point I felt a bit like a circus clown at the front of the classroom. And I, I wouldn't call myself extroverted. Like I do enjoy just quietly sitting at my desk, focusing on something and that's not what ESL teaching is all about. Um, But the thing was, I always swore that I would never, never be an entrepreneur because my parents were entrepreneurs. They worked together Um, From age 22 until they retired, they had their own business together and it was very successful. Uh, But when they came home for supper each night, as a kid, it felt like all they talked about was work because they hadn't seen each other all day because they were each, you know, my mom was responsible for this area of the business, my dad was responsible for this area of the business. So supper was the first point in the day where they really had a chance to kind of debrief with each other. So supper times often felt like meetings. (laughs) And if we ever tried to go away somewhere, this was like a pre-internet, my parents would have to call the company each, like at a predetermined time, like four o'clock every day, they would call and check in to make sure that the buildings were still standing and nothing was on fire. Um, And so because of that, I think I just thought, no, I'm not doing that. I'm getting a nine to five where I waltz in, I do my job and I waltz out and there's no thought about the job after five o'clock. And so that was the ESL teaching. And it was exactly that. And it was great until it wasn't. And it wasn't great after six years when I realized, crap, I'm never going to make any more money like there's a very rigid ceiling in this business it's insecure if if students don't come teachers don't work uh i have no control over my schedule i like i if there's classes i have to be there there's you can't like skip off and go to the doctor you have to be there so then i thought oh Crap! I have to be self-employed. Darn it! I swore I wouldn't do this, but I'm being forced to. Uh, so that's when I thought, okay, well, I need to be self-employed. What skills do I have that I can sell? And I knew that I was a decent writer. I knew that I didn't love it, but that was didn't matter. I knew that I could do it, and I thought that I could sell it. So that's what I decided to do. Um, and it, you know, it worked out it worked out fine. But it did take time for me to settle into where I really wanted to be, which is where I am today. And you know what, maybe in 10 years, it'll be something else. But for now, I really enjoy where I am.
1: That's, that's awesome in the sense that you recognize that there was things in your childhood or in the past that kind of created these beliefs, right? So you were like, saw your parents or they're always working I had a similar situation where my mom was self-employed for as long as I can remember. And and I remembered oh, money was always a struggle, right? It she was, it was never, I don't think we were ever flush. You know, when we lived in an area outside of New York, we were just lucky to live there as far as like where we rented this house. It just was an inexpensive house, but it was in like a very tony area of Westchester County. And so everybody around me, oh, sorry, um, like- you know, rich, fancy, whatever, you know, just very, very, not super fancy, but just like very upper middle class. So, and we weren't. So the point of that is, you know, that context, I was very aware of the difference, you know? And so, you know, um, you know, where, where my mom, I think money was always something that was stressful. Right. So I kind of, I was, I had entrepreneurial ambitions very early on as an, as a young adult, but I think the beliefs and the fears that i kind of like grew up in that energy you know of what if you don't have enough money to pay the rent that kind of stuck with me so the reason i'm bringing it up and kind of calling back to that is i'm i'm curious as to when you decided to make this shift to going from freelancer practitioner to business owner or business, you know, entrepreneur in a more classic sense where you're not, you're focusing on the business as opposed to, you know, or you're building the business rather than being the business entirely. Were there things about that experience with your parents other than just being aware of it, you know, as a story, but those and other things maybe that you recognize as being like, maybe things that create a little bit of fear or limiting beliefs within yourself that, that held you back a little bit that you're aware of. And I know sometimes we're not even aware of these things, so it's kind of a loaded question, but I'm just curious.
0: Honestly, I grew up feeling like I could do anything and I don't know how my parents instilled that in me, but somehow I never worried about it. I always knew that I could do what I wanted. Um, I grew up in a one, when I was born, I was born in a one room log cabin and that my parents built.
1: Like Abraham Lincoln.
0: My, my mom and dad were building oh. this little log cabin when my mom was pregnant with me and they were wow. sleeping in a tent <laughs> on the property. This was, you know, seventies, hippie, like, you know, tail end of the hippie, hippiedom. We had a pig, we had, you know, like, and my parents, they were pewter smiths, so they made things out of pewter. So when they started at age 22, they had zero, zero money, Uh, but they managed to never pass along any stress about money, even though we didn't have any, there was no worries about it. At least I'm sure they worried, but my sister and I never, never thought about it. It was what it was. We weren't, you know, it was fine. Um, And so when I was thinking about going into business for myself, I was like, yeah, well, if I want to do it, I can do it. I just need to put in the effort and be persistent. And so I did.
1: That's a yeah, and that's very. Um, I, I wish I had had that right because I think you know, um, for each of us, that whatever career you choose, we we all have kind of our baggage to some degree of what we think is possible. So the fact that you kind of came into this with, I can do anything, I can create all this, is I think a huge advantage because, um, you know, the nature of entrepreneurship. And and honestly, the nature of a modern career in in today's world, where you know there's no such thing as job security anymore, and nobody's going to get a gold watch at the end of their forty year career with one company, I think the uh, the ability to deal with rejection and failure and all these setbacks is just like we have to have that ability, right? Because otherwise, it gets very difficult to keep trying. So it sounds like you kind of had that baked into you at an early age, or at least just your nature, you just kind of came out with that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned job security. I actually feel like entrepreneurs have more job security than than others because they're in control of making it happen. Um, and with the nature of my business, which is uh, an agency, you know, we have 20, 20 customers, we're not going to lose all of them tomorrow you know we might lose a handful but we'll gain a handful um and so the the risks are spread out over 20 customers so i'm not relying on one you know one business to to sink me or the
1: opposite of that raise me up <laughs> i guess <laughs> um yeah no and and i used to own a pr- apartment Properties. And I I had the same analogy when it comes to like people, some people would own a single family home, right? And that was their investment. Uh, or, you know, other people had multiple apartment units, whatever. And I was just like, look, I, I don't want to put all my money into one house and rent it because if that's empty for four months, I'm in trouble. But if I have 20, 30 apartment units, it's kind of the same principle. Yeah, right? spreads the risk for yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, it, it develops this process like, One thing I remember very clearly feeling in 2008 when we had this really just incredible uh, economic upheaval were, you know, this was really obviously we had the internet, but the internet in 2023 and the internet in 2008 are very different things, right? So Facebook was relatively new, things like social media, LinkedIn was still just, you know, there wasn't much going on, right? And I just remember like people that had been working what they consider to be very secure jobs. So they're not thinking in terms of what do I do if I lose this, right? Because they're not thinking that there's going to be a economic collapse over subprime mortgages and all that stuff, nor were people thinking three years ago, we're going to have a pandemic, right? (laughs) So, so like, you know, it was, it was the thing where people were legitimately broadsided by this thing that was completely out of the control, but at the same time, they weren't really kind of in this process of systemically thinking about what do I do if this happens. So one of the things I just remember feeling and thinking at that time was, you know, yes, that's always scary. And I felt for these people, but their only go-to that I could see, I'd see people on like, you know, in news news stories about like, oh, she put out 30 resumes and hasn't heard back. It's like that's the problem. It's like you have one tool, right? Is monster.com back in the day or whatever, you know, indeed yeah. now. And, um, and if that tool doesn't work, you're kind of like, meh, you know, I don't know what else to do. And I think Mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur to your point about what security, you know, that we can actually influence as individuals. Yeah. If you're, if you're in business, you you're every day, you're always thinking, how else can I reach more clients? So when there is uh, a challenge, right, we had eight months ago, six months ago, whatever it was, we went from. Companies can't hire enough people to all of a sudden you just see like they're getting rid of 25% of their work. Like it's like where did that come from? Incredible.
0: It's nuts,
1: right? So, but we're always thinking, or not, you know, some most of us hopefully as entrepreneurs or self-employed people or freelancers are always thinking, yes, this is not fun, but I'm prepared for this, right? Yeah. So um, so the mindset goes a long way. But did you have any other thoughts on that particular point? Because I think it's really uh, good for people to hear that, like, look, you can be in this situation and, you know, uh, we hear now at this time of this recording, all this hubbub about chat GPT and how that's going to completely like, there's always going to be something, right? So the mindset of like, look, there's going to be challenges, but security doesn't necessarily come from somebody else bestowing it on you.
0: Yeah, it's it's in my hands. Mm you mentioning 2008 and me thinking about, so 2007 was when I started my freelance business and I literally used the yellow pages to reach out to companies.
1: (laughs) Another thing it makes me think of that you said that it's like you picked up the yellow pages and today that could be whatever you, you went on LinkedIn, you got sales navigator, whatever, right. Whatever the tool is. But again, it's the mindset. It's like, look, I'm starting this business. Um, a lot of what I see today is, you know, people talking a lot, as they should, about inbound, and that's been going on for a long time. But, you know, especially freelancers, they get into it and they go like, how do I get clients, right? And and then, you know, they mention, well, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm doing this, I'm sending, you know, maybe cold messages to LinkedIn, which is a whole different topic. But, you know, cold is fine, but like, are you putting thought into it? So when you're calling these companies out of the yellow pages, it's like, that's part of, I imagine your sense of personal you know, the security that you have as a sense of yourself is that you're like there's a tool it's sitting right there. I got a phone. It doesn't take good pictures because it's 2007, but it doesn't matter because I don't need to take pictures. And there's a book with company name, you know, and phone numbers. I'm gonna start calling, right? And what happened? You know, take us through that real quick. Like what happened? You started calling, and what happened?
0: So I didn't actually call because oh. I'm nervous like that. So. I am I sent too. Cold
1: emails. That's fine. Um, That's fine.
0: And, you know, I got very little response. It was painful. Um, you know, I got one or two little bites and I, I was very persistent. I, you know, had a follow-up method. I knew that I would try and tackle, I would try and tackle the f- furnace companies today or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it was, whoo. Thinking back, yikes, but I can't remember how long it took me, but eventually I realized, okay, I don't really want to do brochures. I want to write web content. So what I did, I live in a small city, so we have about 100,000 people. Um, So I looked up all of the web development companies in my city and said, all right, I'm going to go for coffee with somebody in each of these 15 to 20 companies and i did and um by having coffee with the developer i was able to you know say hey you know obviously we can trade work back and forth i'd love to know more about like what kind of websites you like to do you know that sort of thing and and um by the end of the coffee they do they'd always say oh yeah and, and you know often companies come for a website but they don't have content so I'll send them your way perfect mission accomplished and and it it worked it worked it worked it worked um it was the smartest thing that that I did and I'm not sure how I figured it out but um I was the web person for my city um in terms of writing, copywriting. Mm. Um, and it was awesome. It was amazing because that, and the yellow pages were behind me. I didn't have to do all that cold crap. That's horrible. I could just focus on maintaining relationships with those 10 to 15 people. And, you know, emails would come into my inbox saying, Hey, we've got this customer. They need they need a 10-page website. Can you can you help? And and so that was really a massive turning point for for my business.
1: And you wouldn't have gotten there without um, you know, c- calling the furnace companies, right? Like it's like how went...
0: awful. Literally, like, okay, today I'm gonna cold email all of the furnace companies because uh... they have crappy websites.
1: Oh, and I love hearing that too, right? Yeah, like I, um, I still have trepidation when it comes to cold outreach, and so cold calling specifically had always been just that. When I talk about the limiting beliefs and fears, that's you know, I'm being like you know autobiographical with that. Yeah, so I can totally re- relate. And a few years ago, um. I, I was just like, I'm going to do, yeah, do it. I'm just going to start doing this. And I made like 2000 calls, something like that. Crazy amount. Oh, of wow. Yeah. And well, and, and it, you know, it's kind of like your story. The first, you know, 500, whatever it was, were like nonsense, whatever. Like it was all just like, I was, I wasn't calling furnace companies, but I might as well have been like my experience, your experience is, you, you know, you just started reaching out to people, not really knowing what was going to work. And then through that iterative process you landed on an idea. I imagine at some point you woke up or you were taking a walk and you were like, oh, like while I'm looking in this yellow pages or some version of that, I'm seeing these web design firms or agencies. I wonder if I, you know, and you still had to reach out to them, right? They didn't know who you were at the time. So you still had to do quote unquote cold, scary outreach to them, right?
0: Yes, but I found it easy because I knew the value that I could offer them and the value I could offer them was twofold. One, I could refer business to them because, you know, I was getting some people calling me once in a while. Um, But also for them to be successful with their web development project, they needed content. So it was in their best interest to help their customer get the content they needed so that they could create a great product and and actually finish it wrap it up and hand it back to the customer and have a happy customer um so for me it was it wasn't it wasn't horrible it was really easy cuz i knew that it was worth it for them to go for a coffee with me
1: and, and you bring up another great point you know if if anybody listening is trying to build their client base freelancer or otherwise right and i can again relate to what you said cuz when i was calling people and i didn't really i couldn't really grasp why they should care well then that is scary right yeah. because you're kind of like you know i have a portfolio and they're like that's nothing to do with me couldn't care <laughs> less right and and then you're just setting yourself up for like all this personal rejection and they don't like my work and all this terrible stuff but if you're kind of thinking of it especially when it's kind of that you're that example that you gave is a little bit more of a b2b situation right it's like hey yeah. you are in the business you were all yeah. professionals here right so we're used to te- dealing with each other which is different than calling um you know the, the mom and pop furnace company <laughs> and they're like they're like betty do we have a website yes we do <laughs> like oh this 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 person's going to fix it for us <laughs> you know like they're just maybe not in that frame right so yeah. um But again, it's like the lesson here that I'm hearing is, is be very clear about what is the value that you're actually able to deliver? Because if you can't think of it, maybe you discover it as you have these conversations. So even if you're, I'm sure you developed that and honed it over time, the more you had these, these coffee, you know, dates with people, but going in with ultimately it's like, here's why it's worth it for you to sit down and have coffee with me. And I don't know if you mentioned your portfolio at the beginning or whether you didn't, it doesn't really matter, but ultimately I'm going to take a guess and you correct me if I'm wrong. The focus of those conversations over coffee, was that more about them or was it more about you?
0: It was all about them. Um, Most of the people that I chatted with were men and I don't know they just tend to talk about themselves. These these 15 people that I spoke to only talked about themselves. Many of them didn't ask me a single question, honestly. And maybe that's because of the way that I positioned it in that hey I want to be able to, you know, I have customers that are sometimes looking for web de- web design, so I want to know more about the kind of web design that you do so that I can make sure I'm referring the right customers to you. Um, And so they just spent the 30 minutes talking about their business. Um, And I was totally fine with that because I knew as we were walking out the door, they'd be like, oh yeah, I can also refer business to you too. And I'm like, okay.
1: And for, yeah, I love that example because, like, my favorite you know, call them sales calls or client onboarding calls or whatever you want to call them prospecting. The favorite ones are the ones you ask a good, authentic, open ended question. Like, you really are interested and curious as to what to do. And you spend the next 20 minutes just listening and go, and they're just telling you everything that they're. Challenged with, or what they're dealing with, which is a beautiful thing, and and for people that are out there who I think I think one I mentioned this earlier, I think one of the biggest challenges that a lot of freelancers or solopreneurs or very small business owners have is they're not necessarily coming from a sales and marketing background, right? So they they hear the word selling and they just go, oh, that's gross. Oh, I don't want to do that. It feels so tacky, and you know whatever. Look, if you if you can learn. You know the skills are not that complicated. It's like be curious, ask good questions, and there's some other stuff that's useful to know. But you know, how far do you get with just the be curious and ask good questions? Because a lot of times, if you are just focused on the other person and you're really present with them, because how often do we get to experience somebody really just listening to us? That's by itself, people are like, oh, this is wonderful, right? <laughs> uh, and then <laughs> and then they tell you what's going on, right? And then your job as a as an entrepreneur, a freelancer, or whatever your situation is, is to start figuring out you're really listening to them, and you're starting to put the pieces together in your head. Of okay, so this is maybe how I can help them, and then you can suggest, well, let's get together next time, or I'm going to send you some idea, like whatever it is, right? But it, you know, selling, uh, and tell me what you know how you feel about that particular part of the business. there's nothing icky about it if you're doing it with authenticity and really caring about solving people's problems
0: yeah I agree with what you're saying I do I have always struggled with selling Um, and I think that part of it is uh, so this touches on limiting beliefs I think as well um Tooting your own horn can be tricky. So for me, tooting my own horn was very challenging. I think I'm getting a bit better at it, but it's still not something that I would normally naturally do. I've been learning how to do it and why it's important. And so I've been doing more of it with the help of my team. Um, I think it's also helpful now that I have a few people helping me they can toot my horn, so it's easier. <laughs> um, or they can toot our horn, which is even easier um, because it is a team effort, and so that's great. Uh, but it, I think, for example, I've I've had a newsletter for five years, um, but I have no. I think only once did I, was I able to attribute a sale to the newsletter. And I've been just, just today, just this last week, I've been looking at overhauling my newsletter. And so I've been looking at other people's newsletters and I'm realizing I, obviously things have changed since I set it up initially five years ago, but looking at other people's newsletters today and seeing how they sell within their newsletters and how it's this understood um, trade-off, right? I'm giving you valuable content, helpful advice, tips, you know, et cetera. And so part of that agreement, the unspoken agreement is that I, I'm going to remind you that I'm open for business and that this is what we do. And we'd be happy to help you. Um, so point being, as i As I rebrand my newsletter and repackage it and reformat it, I'm actively working on how I can use it as more of a sales tool as well as delivering value to my readers.
1: Got it. Yeah. And I'm curious when you mentioned the tooting your own horn and then the selling yourself in the newsletter and, and how that's kind of like implied in the relationship, right? It's like, yeah, I'm going to give you content and in exchange, you're going to, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I can do to help you. I am curious when you think about like, do, do you feel that like, um let's say I'm reading your newsletter, right? You've given me some valuable insights in the newsletter itself. And then at the end of it or wherever the call to action is, you're saying like, you know, Hey, whatever version of I'm open for business, this is how I can help you. Do you consider that to be tooting your own horn? I'm just curious because I want to make sure I understand like what that would mean.
0: Not so much. I think tooting your own horn is, is you know, the folks that are on LinkedIn who are saying, I made eight figures this year and here's how I did it. And uh, I'm amazing. And you should be like me.
1: Yeah, yeah, that I mean, is definitely extreme, tooting your own horn. But <laughs> Listen, if I see a LinkedIn post from you in the next few months that you've made <laughs> eight, whatever seven to eight figures, I'm congratulations. You toot your own horn. <laughs> no, I agree with you on that. Yeah, and that that is definitely. And I the reason I ask is because I think you know going back to what I mentioned earlier about people's perspective on selling, right. Is there's there's kind of a range, right? Some people feel like you know doing that is fine, right? And they're just like, yeah, whatever. You got to put yourself out there. And then some people are like, even asking for an appointment is this, you know, oh my god, I'm overstepping, you know. And then everything in between. So you know, I don't want to assume that I know what you mean by tooting your own horn, or or you know, even in your in your newsletter, um, you know, what? How have you? You said you're doing some rebranding. Any particular? things that you've decided on how you're going to approach it and, and how you're kind of like overcoming that hump. Like, is there a specific way that you're going to put your CTAs, you know, and, and, and your offers in there that you feel more comfortable with?
0: Um, I'm going to have a section at the bottom under my email signature to, and this is very common. Lots of people do this where they have maybe three things, you know, Three resources, or three ways to work with me, or or something like that. So I'm going to do that. Um, but I think beyond that, uh, in December we did a we did a survey. We we do an annual survey. This was our second annual survey. Um, it's a, a case study survey to f- try and figure out what the trends are for case studies. Um, And we did it last year, and it was very, very hard to get 100 people to fill out the survey. In the end, I ended up having to pay a panel company to get the last 30 respondents. 100 is kind of the the minimum that you need for statistically valid results. So I was doing everything I could to get 100. I ended up getting 70 and threw in the towel and paid for the remaining 30. Um, This year, And this speaks to the limiting beliefs piece. This year, I really um, worked a lot harder on asking people in my network to share the survey. And I was so validated to see how many people actually did share the survey. Um, It was an amazing feeling. And it made me realize, okay, you know, this This ask that I put to them wasn't overstepping. They they were happy to do it for the most part. I'm sure some of them were like, ah, but, you know, for the most part, I think people were fine to do it. You know, we all help each other. That's kind of how the world works. Um, and it really made me realize that I need to make better use of my network, um, when i saw the results of the survey 70 of them had 70 of them who filled out the survey had um, been in my network already and 50 of them were not already in my network so basically 50 of them um, so just under 50 percent Maybe forty percent came because of other people sharing it to their networks. That's huge. Um, and I really didn't tap into that until until this particular marketing campaign. So to tie it back to the uh, newsletter, I'm planning on um, kind of doing a podcast, but in in written form. I'm going to be interviewing customer marketers and content marketers and ask you know doing something very similar to this honestly um you know talking about their journey and their challenges and their successes and um repackaging it into um newsletter format blog obviously into a blog as well and um using the power of those extended networks to to get the word out about who we are and what we do
1: Yeah. And it it brings up um, the idea to that, you know, what you mentioned before about limiting beliefs or things that you just kind of think, this is okay, or this is not okay, or whatever, however we phrase it in our minds, right? There is an expansion to it over time, hopefully, right? So, so you think about like, you know, 2007 you picked up the yellow page you started emailing and that was kind of uncomfortable but not too bad and then you got expanding your comfort zone but you still had there was something about like oh yeah but i don't want to toot my own horn or however we phrase it right how, whatever i want to ask
0: we, for too much i
1: don't want to ask for too much which i have again the same issue and when i see stuff on linkedin it's just like hey i hit this many followers i'm like that's like being in a convention talking about conventions. I mean, I know there are convention conventions, but I don't want to be at them. They're boring, <laughs> right? Can you imagine being in a convention about conventions? Like, so like, a conversation on LinkedIn about LinkedIn and how many followers you have or whatever version of that, I agree with you. For me, that's not really what I'm interested in, right? So it's it's if somebody asks me, you know, uh, or, you know, whatever, like that's fine, you know? Um, but yeah, so to, to my point is that, Anybody listening and thinking about like you know yes but I don't want to be too salesy yes but I don't want to be pushy yes but you know uh, years and years ago in New York I used to do these workshops and I'd have people come to the workshop pay for the workshop and I would not follow up with them because I was afraid I was being too pushy by being it's just you know no that's of course you follow up with them right but in my mind I was like well that's uh, oh I'm I don't want to be pushy right so. There's always room to expand. There's always room to grow through these things. And one of the things that's so great about entrepreneurship and business in general, uh, whether you're more self-employed or working for somebody else, is it really forces you in some ways to to hit these boundaries, right? These personal boundaries. Um,
0: Constantly pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. And I think that's where business coaches are so, hmm. so valuable. I have worked with business coaches on and off through all 15 of my self-employed years and every time it's uncomfortable (laughs) and they're pushing me outside of my comfort zone and i don't love it but i signed up for it i paid money for somebody else to push me outside of my comfort zone because i just needed that extra little uh.
1: to your point coaches podcasts, blogs, friends, whatever it is, people you go and have coffee with, you know, but however we can kind of like get the support we need to help us push through those boundaries, um, you know, know that that's, we're all in the same boat and we might be in a different we might be at a different stage of it in our development but we all dealt with it and there's very few people i think what what happens too is the entrepreneurs that we all hear about in the news you know and i won't name them because we're probably sick and tired of hearing the particular ones that we're hearing about a lot right now but like it makes it seem like oh they just came out you know like of of they were just born like these high rolling whatever maybe but a lot of them Didn't you know I'm a big fan of Richard Branson, right? You know, from back in the days, one of my first kind of like role models as a business person because he was like the only person I could relate to in business, right? So it's like I find out, well, yeah, he's dyslexic and he's got really bad shyness and he's and he mumbles or whatever. Like we all have something, right? So to be aware of that and realize it's like, look, we all deal with these things, we all have discomfort, and um, and you know, if whoever's pursuing. You know, a, a business, a building, a business, wherever stage you're at, realize that you know we're all in the same boat. And and where you're at now today, Emily, I imagine that you know if you were to go back to 2007, I don't know about you, but if I if I were to go back, how many years is that? Fifteen, whatever. I don't want to go
0: back. Don't make <laughs> me go back.
1: Don't make me go back to <laughs> especially that time, right? But like, if I were to think of myself 15 years ago, and I, if I were to see who I am today, and again, not to toot my horn, but I, I'd be like, no, there's no way I'm doing that. Like, I'm the kind of person that doesn't follow up with uh, somebody who came to my (laughs) workshop. (laughs) You know,
0: there's one other thing that I wanted to to mention, um, and that is circling back to our discussion around. I don't want to ask for too much. Is this too much? Like am I overstepping? Um so these kind of things were circling around in my head when your message came to me asking me to participate in this podcast. And as soon as I read it, as I told you before, I was happy to participate. It was something interesting for me. Um the topic was interesting and I felt thrilled that you asked and it, it was great. And then I realized, okay, so I can ask other people this, you know, uh, the, the reaction that I felt can also be the reaction that the people I ask for certain things will feel. It doesn't have to be, uh, like, oh man, really? Is she really asking me to do this? I don't have time for that.
1: Um,
0: So it's just a nice little reminder that the receiver might be thrilled.
1: It's, It's funny how we project our own fears or insecurities or whatever you want to call it onto other people, right? So it's like, I don't want, like what I said before, I don't want to be a pest, right? By the way, just to let you know, I think ex- maybe not because you and I know each other a little bit. Right. So it was a little more comfortable, but like, you know, when I'm thinking about reaching out to people, I don't know, or I was reaching out to people to be a, a podcast or guest on their podcast, right. A couple months ago. And I'm thinking like, they're not going to want to talk to me, you know, and if I email more than once, I'm going to be so annoying. Like, it's just this weird voice, right. That tells us like, we're an imposition on people. Right. And yeah. that, that projecting that, that a, a, assumption that we're somehow imposing makes it very hard for us to recognize whatever value we can provide, right? Yeah. Because if you with your uh, with your newsletter example, with your email, right? If you're providing value not only in the newsletter itself, but in what you're actually offering, so you're not just like, hey, give me some money, huh, you know, you're like, hey, this is stuff that I can help you solve. Like if you think of it, like just completely objectively the person either has that problem or they don't. Right. So if, or I reach out to you, you either want to be on this podcast or you don't. Right. And if, and if they don't have that problem, that's the end of it. Like you're not, a they're not like, Oh, how dare she ask me. You know, if they do have the problem, maybe they don't have time right now. Maybe it's not urgent enough. Maybe they have more urgent problems to deal with. And I think that's a lot of what happens with the timing, but It's funny or and and interesting that you just said that about even just our engagement in this for this call is is that you know sometimes when we're the the recipient of a request, we forget how honestly happy we are to help another person or to contribute or to have a conversation when it's somebody else we're like oh they they're going to be just mean <laughs> right they're going to yell at me for bothering them you know
0: so it was because of you reaching out to me and the way that i felt about it that got me off my bum and said okay i'm going to send eight emails to people that i want to interview for my newsletter
1: wow and i
0: took a big breath and i sent them off and honestly Right away, I got four replies back saying, of course, I'd love to help. Just like that. That's so
1: awesome. That's well, I am. And it was
0: because I had that positive interaction on the flip side, on the other side of the ask that Mm. really helped me just hit send and just go for it.
1: I'm beyond thrilled to hear that. I mean, that's I never anticipated that. So thank you so much for sharing that. That's like by itself, you know. Like, okay, cool. This is a good thing to do, right? Because where we're when we're sharing stuff, it's not just about the information, right? Because information you can people can find information. We have no idea how we're impacting other people, right? Like, like hopefully in a very positive way. So that means a lot to me that you would share that. I really appreciate that. So Emily, thank you so much for all your time today with me. I'm so pleased to hear that you had not only that experience with, you know, being on this show and and how that kind of helped you kind of get, expand your comfort zone a little bit, but you know, everything you shared and your personal uh, kind of journey with, with entrepreneurship and, and this constant uh, pushing past your own comfort zone. I'm really grateful that you were willing to share all that with everybody. Um, For people that are you know interested in learning more about you or or the kind of content projects that you work on what's the best way for them to find you
0: so you can um i'd encourage you to connect with me on linkedin it's emily amos a m o s um or you can go to my website upliftcontent.com